Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jenny Allen is the founder and visionary of the women's organization If Gathering, the host of the top-rated Made for This podcast with over 17 million downloads, and the New York Times best-selling author of Get Out of Your Head, which was the number one best-selling religion title of 2020. Her latest book is Find Your People, Building Deep Community in a Lonely World. Jenny, thanks so much for joining me on Takeaways today. Thanks for having me, Kirk. It's good to be here. Loneliness is a topic that I think all of us can relate to. Nobody wants to be lonely. People want relationships. They want to be valued. Uh, They want to go through life together with somebody. But there's a lot of topics that you could have picked to write a book on. What made you double-click on loneliness and community? Uh, Find Your People is the name of your book. Oh, I mean, it is a lonely season. Now, the interesting thing is I actually dreamed this project up five years ago, not knowing we would be heading into a pandemic and people would be lonelier than ever. But prior to the pandemic, the statistics were three in five people said they were lonely. So my guess today after a pandemic or in the midst of one still is, you know, that number's got to be four and five, if not five and five, right? We're all isolated more than we ever have been. And so this is a huge problem. And it's not just a huge problem. Spiritually speaking, we were obviously built by God to live in community with each other. But physically, it is one of the most dangerous things you can do for your health. It is worse than obesity. It is worse than alcohol. It is worse than smoking. That's what the scientists are saying. And so this is something that we're all craving. You're right. But it feels almost like this huge mountain now of how do we climb it and how do we get to the other side and actually have the relationships we long for? Because we're all kind of tired. I, I feel like that's the, yeah. the mood of everyone right now is we're all a little exhausted and it feels daunting to do this. So the reason I picked it was I do believe it's living, it's life. I mean, if you look at throughout history, like what brings meaning to life, it's relationships. It's a relationship with God and a relationship with each other. So to me, this is not something ancillary to living. This isn't something that that we should um, try to fit into our lives. This is actually life and living, but it's just not how our culture is designed to live the way that others have been. What does loneliness look like today? Some people might think, I'm not, I'm, yeah. I, I'm not alone, but I feel lonely. Let me affirm you. If that's how you feel, you are not alone. <laughs> what I did was I looked at the Bible, I looked at history, and I looked at science. And I also looked at other cultures. How do they live today? Well, most other cultures live like most generations have lived before us, which, which is in a village context. So I would say part of the problem, you're saying there's more people on the planet and there's more connection than we've ever had. That's part of the problem. Humanly, we are not designed um, for a capacity of thousands and thousands of people's problems. Mm. We're not. We're we're actually designed to carry about 150, which is how most societies were set up to to live. And so it's no wonder that we're exhausted with compassion fatigue and that, that it feels like we don't know how to help anyone because we're carrying the problems literally of the world. And we're a little bit connected with a lot of people. We were designed to connect deeply with two to five people 
day in and day out. That was how we were meant to live. And then a, a larger village of 50 people, which might include, you know, study school teachers that you know, or friends of your kid's soccer team, or if you're single, people that live in your vicinity, your neighbors, your coworkers. That is the village that we currently live in, but we don't view it that way because those are somewhat strangers to us. We, we sit next to them at games and we scroll our phones. We don't actually have a 30-minute conversation. And so mm. that connection on our phones has taken away from the conversations we'd be having in real life because we're all distracted. And so what I propose in the book is let's bring back village life to our everyday. It's gonna take a little more effort because we don't depend on each other for hunting and gathering and agriculture like most generations have, but we do need each other. And I think the emotional needs that we're all carrying right now can be the grounds for how we begin to connect, but it takes vulnerability and it takes a little bit of risk. I understand that you recently moved. You moved from Austin to Dallas. And so just by the fact that you're in a new location, you've probably got to make new friends. Did you feel lonely when you went to an entirely <laughs> new environment? And what did you do about that? Oh, it was so lonely. I mean, we moved to Dallas and it was just down the highway three hours from Austin. And we did have some family members here, but we were pretty much completely starting over. We're a family of six and every one of my kids had to make friends. I had to make friends, my husband had to make friends. And the first year, probably like a lot of people, we didn't really get out much. Like nobody invited us to anything. We were just home with each other, which, which I, I make a case for, for family being a great place to start with friendships, um, a difficult place sometimes, but we had that, but we really didn't have other friends. And so it took a lot of intentional choices that we had to each make. And I would say <laughs> awkward choices. That's the thing with this is if you want relationships, everything about it is going to feel awkward, especially in the midst of a pandemic. I mean, we've got so we've lost the, the muscle of connection, right? We don't even we haven't practiced that in a while. We've got to rebuild that and we've got to practice that again. And so I would say, you know, in that season when I was practicing and I had to make calls and I had to, you know, it was awkward. And I reached out to, I mean, funny, I had a summer camp counselor 20 years later that lived in the neighborhood near me because one of my goals was proximity. It's a whole pattern that I, I build into the book because what I looked at was village life and how, did, how have they always done it and how could we do it? And it begins with proximity. Who's around you? And so my goal was five friends in five miles. How could I five, find five friends in five miles so that we might run into each other at the grocery store so that we might could take a walk together in the morning and not waste half our day so that we could be in each other's kids' lives and, and help parent and co-parent together? So that was my goal. So the only person that I kind of had a connection with was 20 years ago, my camp counselor. So I reach out to her, it felt desperate, and I invite her into my, you know, crazy of, of just moving, and we bonded. And, and that led to a small group. And I just think that awkwardness of reaching out and saying, hey, can you go to coffee? And then saying, hey, will you be my friend? Or hey, could I join your small group? Or hey, you know, where do you go to church? Or how could we, you know, how could we hang out more? I think all of that feels really awkward for people but that's how friendships are made. It is awkward because we're so used to texting somebody, right? I mean, when I was younger and I met my wife, it's because we were working together or we went to church together or you, you bumped into them at the grocery store or you went to school together, you went to college. Right. And now it's yeah. like, which dating app am I gonna try to see who I can connect <laughs> right. with? And yet what you're saying, five friends in five miles sounds so like, oh yeah, like let's try that. That yeah. sounds like a great idea. I love how you mentioned in your book that you see community in the Bible, even in the Garden of Eden, with Adam, Eve, and God in fellowship with them as a bit of heaven on earth. I love that kind of language. Why, why yeah. do you call that heaven on earth? And do you think it's possible for us to have that again today? 
Well, it was super cool because when I did the research of how people have always lived in villages, I saw patterns of living that go back to pre-garden. Like you see it in its best form with Adam and Eve and God. But you see, first, God create man. And before the fall, he says, that's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And so you see the first statement over mankind being, it's not good for us to be alone. God is not alone. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's been in community forever. He is communal in his very being. And then you see him build a human and he says, it's not good for you to be alone because you're communal in your being. One of my counselors says it this way. He says, um, his name's Kurt Thompson. And he says, we come into the world looking for someone looking for us. We come into the world as a baby looking for someone looking for us. And we really never get over that. For the rest of our lives, we're looking for someone looking for us. So in our DNA, the way that God built us in his image, we are communal. We want to be seen. We want to be comforted. We want to be known. And so the way God built us was for this. So when we don't have it, there's a chasm. We feel it. We feel something that we put a word to called loneliness, but it expresses itself in lots of different ways. And then because we feel that chasm, we cope with it and try to, you know, fill it with social media, with, with success, with lots of things, but ultimately we're built to be known. Now, the hard part about that is to truly be known, you gotta be vulnerable. Well, that stinks because honestly, once you're vulnerable, then you risk being rejected, you risk, for me, there were times that people took the things I shared with them and they used it against me mm. and they shared it with other people, right? And all of us have had those experiences where we tried this and it didn't work. So I just wanna say, if you're listening and you're thinking, I have already done this and it didn't work. I get it. I, a lot of the book is about that, how it didn't work for me, but it's still worth fighting for and it's still worth doing it again and again. It's just that it isn't easy. And so the way, when I looked at heaven on earth, it was Adam and Eve, it was that they, they did that with vulnerability. They did it with proximity. They had a, a shared mission, which I think is important for friendships to mean something. Um, they, they were consistent with each other. And so you saw these patterns of living that you also see um, throughout villages. And, and so in my mind, it's like, gosh, nobody ever taught me how to, how to do this. I never got a first grade class in how to be friends and how to keep community close. And yet um, that's kind of what we needed. And so <laughs> I tried to keep it super basic and to hold people's hands. You can have this. It's all around you. This is how you get it. But I do think it would have been nice to have a class in first grade and learn it that way. <laughs> I love how you talk about the components of community in the Bible and then in these village settings. And some of these components are closeness or proximity, like you talked about, and then also uh, safety and protection. And in our country, I see how safety and protection is something that's being offered sort of at this giant national level rather than this community village level. How does safety and protection work itself out in that smaller village context? One of the reasons I wrote this book was I was traveling a lot and I was seeing in all these different cultures something that made me jealous. And, and sometimes this was in an impoverished village. I would feel jealous of the women who had buckets on their head and they were heading down to get water. And, and they seemed happier than me. And yet they didn't have clean water in their village. And I was like, what is going on? And so it made me curious. And so when I did the work, what I noticed was needing each other. 
is actually a gift of protection. Like there is something about needing someone else and depending on each other that builds mm. a culture of dependence that we don't have anymore. We don't depend on each other in community. We depend on our needs being met from the sky, right? Like Amazon's gonna drop from a drone apparently one day, like what we need on our front step. We don't even have to barely go outside to get what we need. And, and I would just say like one of the things I encourage people to do is to choose to need each other. Um, my, my friend that's a pastor, uh, Charles Mugisha, he's in Rwanda and he's actually Ugandan, but he's pastoring in Rwanda. And he said, Jenny, the more wealth and comfort people get, the more disconnected and isolated they become. And I really was bothered by that. He said, even in my country, when people get money, they build a big, thick wall, they get a dog, they get a guard, and they protect themselves from the rest of the world. And I would say what we think of as protection is actually keeping us from each other. It's actually like our alarms and our locked doors and our fences, and I'm not saying we shouldn't lock our doors. I'm just saying internally, we should live a lot more open-hearted and invite people in. Mm. One of the things we did that was super practical is we got a fire pit because I noticed in all these villages, they always had fires and they would gather around these fires to cook. They would gather around these fires at night after their kids were in bed. And this is how what's been going on since fire existed, right? Like the people have been doing this for all time in, in history of humans. And so I got a fire pit and one thing I, I disciplined myself to do was to invite people over, even if my house was a mess, no matter what, like, hey, come into our backyard and let's sit around the fire. And, and so we started practicing that and doing that. And what was cool is we didn't even have to feed them much. We could just have snacks in our pantry and bring them out. People would stay for hours around a fire. And we'd turn on music and it wasn't expensive. You can get a fire pit for $49.99 on Amazon, but people stayed and they gathered. And I think that's the kind of security and protection we actually are craving. It's, it's to come in through a front door, go to a backyard, sit by a fire for hours together and, and emotional needs are met. That's what we're craving most. Mm. We're not craving necessarily our physical needs to be met, although we would love our troubles to go away. We would love for COVID to not be an issue anymore. We would love a lot of our financial struggles to not be an issue anymore, but it's unbelievable what you can go through and I've watched it in third world countries, what you can endure with joy if you have each other. Jenny, I wanna talk about the benefits of community and how to find it. More when we come back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jenny, thanks so much for staying with us. You talked earlier about the idea of village living being better than living with just way, way too many people in our world. Finding five people within five miles that you can deeply invest in. But what about people who live in cities, in urban areas, and they don't live in a little village where you can have a little campfire in your backyard. They live in an apartment complex. (laughs) How do they find that concept? I say you get something to gather around because that you can build this in any place. I am in a metroplex. When we moved here, and this was our goal, we moved from Austin, 
which has a huge sprawl. And I was just weary of driving 45 minutes to go to dinner with one of my friends. It was so spread out. And when we moved here, I was like, you know what? We've got to make a world, a huge Metroplex seem small. And so we made a lot of intentional choices to bring that proximity into our world, to choose friends that we would see as often as possible. And so it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but it is very possible. And so it's beginning to notice who's already around you and how could you pursue a deeper relationship with them. You can build this. I know my baristas' names. I, we picked our favorite restaurants that we frequent over and over and over again so they know us and we know them. And, and things like that, choices that you can make that bring a rhythm and pattern to your daily life. And then to be an initiator. I would say that's probably the greatest way to have this in mm. your life if you're craving it. Now, what people will say is, I do initiate and nobody ever initiates back. I've heard it one million times. So I'm just assuming it's probably true for everyone. If you initiate, which I would say a lot of people don't, but if you do, then you're tired of it. You feel like you're the only one that does it. And my word to you is keep doing it because that is what's needed in the world. And a lot of people just may not do it. They just may never initiate. And you may continue to play that role for people, but I promise you, you will have friends if you can be that person. What about somebody who has an independent personality and says, you know what, I, I, I kind of like dogs and cats more than I like people, um, or <laughs> I like just being by myself out in nature. I bet, I bet they still were created for community. And uh, I know that you've done some scientific research into this. What do the scientists and the health experts say about the effect loneliness has on our well-being? The science is that, that we cannot live alone, that we isolated will die earlier, that people physically die from loneliness because there is something about our brains that were built to connect with people. And it's interesting because the greatest problem that I would say is in our generations mm -hmm. is anxiety. It is rampant. There's never been more diagnosed anxiety in the world than there is right now. And even the people that aren't diagnosed are struggling with it, right? There's anxiety everywhere we look. So what I would say is the way we heal is connection. You may ask yourself, why would I share my problems? What good is that gonna do? They can't fix my problems. Nobody can help me with my problems. Why would I waste time and share it with somebody else? And I would say, because your brain, when you share it, face-to-face -face physical connection, when you are looking at someone and you can see their empathy, that is healing something in your brain and in your body when you share and they empathetically listen. <laughs> that is happening. So the, the brain circuits are reconnecting. It's why therapy works. It's why people pay a lot of money for it because something about sharing your problems, not just getting advice because actually you don't crave advice. You probably know the right thing. Mm. It's that you crave connection. People crave connection. I, I love that. I think that's absolutely true. What do you think keeps some people from investing in deep relationships? The hardest part is how much is stacked against us doing this. We have, number one, a culture that is built to be independent and to live isolated and to even value that, to say, good for you. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You don't need anybody else. Like We, we prize these things. So we've got a culture. Um, the second thing is we have an enemy that hates it. Uh, there, if this is of God and God built us to be communal, then the enemy is after it to kill, steal, and destroy it. If it is from God, he is, he is in it to take it out. And so we're up against the enemy. And a lot of you have had this in your life, but it all broke down. It's because there's an enemy and he, is, he wants to destroy it at every turn. And I think it's important we know that so that we fight back and we don't just let a friendship go because it got hard, right? Mm -hmm. Friendships will be hard, especially the good ones. And so we have to fight back. And then thirdly, we've all been hurt. 
we've, we've experienced it where it just didn't go right or it didn't feel good. And, and you're sitting here going, I, I don't think this works. I've tried it and I've been abandoned and I've been rejected and I've been hurt. And I would just say yes to all of that. That's all true. And yet, if we push through it and we fight for it, it is living. It is life. There is not another thing that means more than God and people. That is, that is the meaning of life, right? Happy people in Uganda are happy because they have God and they have each other. They don't have anything else, but they have God and each other, and they're figuring out how to survive, and there's joy. There's more joy there than I see here in in the chaos of our, of our plenty, <laughs> I see more joy where, there's n- where they need each other. And so here, we've got to choose it. We've got to choose to need each mm. other. And it's scary, and it doesn't always go right. But when it does, it is worth it. And, and there is a way for it to go right. I bet there's some people who are watching us right now thinking, you know, I, I just don't have good people in my life. I, I've got some people yeah. around me, but you know, they, they, they don't make me better. They kind of tear me down. These are people who sort of want me to fit into their life for their purposes. They're not the kind of people that are building me up. What kind of qualities should we look for when we're looking for good friends? So I would say, first of all, there are people that you need in your life, like you're talking about, and then there's people that need you. And, and some of the people that, that are, feel like a drain to you, they may need you and you've just got to show up for them, right? Scripture is pretty clear. Like we need our, our cohorts that make us better, iron sharpening iron. But there's also a call to be missional and to love people that are hard to love that, that aren't going to give a lot back. So there's those two categories, first of all. But when we're looking for the people that we need, the things that I have found to be the very most helpful is if they're humble, if they're vulnerable and if they're available. Those are the three things that I find to make the best friends. So it's not perfect. In fact, I would say we have too high of expectations on people and we're constantly disappointed by people. I would say you need to expect people to disappoint you. They're all going to disappoint you. And the good news is you will disappoint them right back. And so when we accept that and we know, hey, I'm not expecting you not to disappoint me. I'm not expecting this to be conflict free. I'm not expecting you to meet all my needs. I just am looking for you to be available and humble and honest. And and when we use our words and we start to build friendships around those three things, that is so safe and everybody's craving that. And, And then the rest, you know, there's a million enemies to relationships and traps that we fall into. But I would say when those three things are present, you can work through conflict, you can be known and seen and you can know and see that other person And then you can clock the hours because actually the research says for someone to become a best friend or a very, very close friend, it's about 200 hours of time together. So we really need time. Um, And sometimes that time can come naturally from things you do together. But a lot of times we have to prioritize that time and just make it work. And those three things you mentioned were great. Friends who are vulnerable, available, and... Humble. Humble. And the humble part is you're willing to work it out you're willing to sit there and work through a conflict. Because I tell my kids, if you have not had a fight yet with a friend, then they're probably not your good friend. Because most friends, eventually you will have a conflict. And why that matters is because once you've worked through a conflict, then you know you can't. And then you can trust that that's gonna be a long-term friend because you know we can get to conflict and it might happen again and again, but we can work through it. You talk to your readers about embracing the inconveniences of friendship. Uh, what, what do you mean by that, and how do we deal with those inconveniences? Let me say this. This is not good for marketing. It is easier if you live alone. It is not better. <laughs> it is sad, and I do not recommend it, but it is way easier. 
It is way cleaner. It's why people do it. Because it's messy to have friends. It's messy to let people into your life. It's messy to live in a village. My buddy, my buddy my, in fact, it's my brother-in-law. He and his wife lead a dude ranch in Colorado. And they are in a village. They live with about 40 to 50 staff. And they take care of people year-round. And they're doing life together. Those are their friends. Those are their coworkers. And they're on a little island. They have a village. And my brother-in-law is kind of funny. And he said, hey, village life. I told him about the book. He said, village life in perfect. In fact, you could show up in a village and be in a village full of cannibals, you know? And I'm like, that's true. You could end up with a lot of people and they all want to kill you, you know? So, so I would say village life is not what we're after. We're after godly, humble, submitted relationships that, that aren't conflict-free, but, but we're healthy enough to work through it. And there's no perfect people. And I think letting people be imperfect is part of what's fun about it. But I also think it's part of what's hard about it is, is you will get hurt this way. Like you will get hurt but you also will feel cared for and loved on a day like yesterday for me where I could have gone to bed lonely, but instead I felt surrounded by my people. And so we do it because there's, there's good. And we also do it because God was really clear, you can't do life alone. And, and I think about the verse in scripture where it says, um, encourage each other as long as it is called today so that we are not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Meaning that without this, you become a jerk. Like, <laughs> let yeah. me be clear. You become a jerk, everybody, without encouraging each other, without people around us that are helping us spur each, spur each other on. Encouraging each other can mean so many things. It doesn't just mean a compliment. It means standing beside each other. It means praying for each other. It means reminding each other. It means giving courage to one another. And so that's what I picture <laughs> the best of community being, is that we bring courage to one another to face all the difficult things that we're facing right now. I can picture in my mind, Jenny, my campfire in my backyard, which I make just about every night now. And I wonder, uh, on a Wednesday night or on a Thursday night, if I were to do what you're saying, I would, I would think to myself, who do I really want to have at this campfire? Whoa, I know that guy's gonna drain me for hours. Whoa, I'm gonna lose so many, uh, so, so many husband points if I invite this person over here to the campfire tonight. My wife's yep. gonna kill me later. But then I gotta think about myself, wait a minute, not only do who do I want to have at the campfire, but who needs to be at the campfire because yeah. they're really needing some community right now. And we've got to think on both sides of it, like, like you had mentioned. I think that that's really great. I also know that it's possible for us to not only undervalue relationships, but sometimes we can overvalue relationships, right? People can become so friend dependent yeah. that it's like they can't live without other people being around uh, propping them up. How do we find the balance in the middle? Right, so codependency is the word um, that is common. And, and what it is, is we're so starved relationally that when we get a good one, we literally cling to it and just say, we've got to have this work and, and you're so important to me. And all of a sudden you, you get a mesh to where it's unhealthy. And, and the, I can promise you, once a relationship turns codependent, it will end. And the reason it will end is because people get toxic and it, it suffocates the friendship. And so I think, you know, that's a fine line because I'm also saying you need to need other people. I think we are so far from that right now that that's not as much my concern, but we're so starved that it is my concern that once you get it, you'll suffocate the thing, right? So, so what I would say is the very most important thing, and this is going to sound like a cliche, but stick with me, is that your relationship with God has to be right. And what I mean by that is you've got to, there's certain things, identity, purpose, um, connection with God that cannot be met with anyone else. That, that's got to come from God. 
But what's interesting you see throughout scripture is that also is that connection with God is built up by other people. And so it's a chicken and an egg. We need each other to love God and we need to be right with God to not drain our friends. And so it's that, it's, it, it's an issue of okay. just trusting that when we connect with God and when that's a priority of our lives, that as we are going, not after our identity and our purpose and all that's figured out, but as we are trying, as we are connecting with God and trying to bring other people in, but to let them disappoint you. I think that is so key that you're not looking at them to be something that only God can be, which he's the only one that doesn't ultimately disappoint us, but you're looking at people to, to run with, to, to do mission with, to do life. I think it's important to have a mission. Now, I'm not saying you have to go serve at a homeless shelter. My mom, it's her bridge club. It's, they sit there and play cards together. C.S. Lewis talks about that, that one of the greatest um, ways to have friends is you have a common interest. You have something that you share together. But that bridge club for her and her friends that are believers is they pray for people. Like they love people. They, walk, they bring meals to people that aren't believers. It's a mission field to them, but they play bridge. They've got something besides each other that they're focused on. And I think that's part of the beauty of Christian friendship is we actually always have a mission built into our relationships. We get to be on mission together with people that, that we love because there's a built-in mission of discipleship and showing people Jesus that, that is just part of, of being a Christian. And so I think that helps the most. I think that keeps friendship healthy the most is when we're turned outward and not inward. Hey, Jenny, thank you so much. This is, this is awesome. Thank you for sharing with me today. Community is so important, and I'm so grateful to have this conversation with you. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show. 